I've got to steal this stand here. Um, So I first want to say thank you to uh, uh, everyone for being so welcoming. It's been awesome for our family uh, to be able to be here and uh, to be with the people of God. Uh, that Isn't it awesome when you can be around the people of God and though you've never met them, you know that you're connected by the blood of Christ. And uh, you all have been so welcoming to us and we are so thankful for that. And uh, the leadership of, of the church here, the, the elders and the search committee that have uh, been talking with Dewey for months now. And uh, I'm thankful for him and the leadership team. And Lynn, where is Lynn? She has gone above and beyond for our family uh, already. So uh, I just say that to say thank you all for, for your heart, for uh, just the brief time we have been with you all. So far this morning, it's been it's been really really good for us already, and we are excited for where God is leading, possibly with us and with you all. And uh, I can't say that it's not uh, it doesn't make me nervous because if you would have told me a year ago that I would ever be a senior pastor, I would have told you you're absolutely crazy. Uh, I wanted nothing to do with that. I was 100% content being a worship leader. I love leading worship, uh, but God has, looking back over the last year, it's amazing how God has orchestrated things and changed my heart and my desires, and, and I've just seen him working in, in myself and my family in so many ways. Uh, so thank you all. Um, as we, you can turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 23 today. As you do that, um, A.W. Tozer said that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what that means is that we have, each of us has some conception of God. Each of us has some idea of who God is, what He is. Uh, how he interacts with us, how he interacts with the world. And a lot of us have formed these ideas in various ways. Some people have formed these ideas of God from the Word of God, allowing the Spirit of God to illuminate his Word. Understand that the Word of God, God has revealed his nature in his Word. He has shown us who he is in his Word. He has revealed his mind. He has revealed the way that he operates in this world through his Word. And then he works through his spirit to illuminate the word of God and to transform our hearts in light of the things that he has laid out, the principles that he has laid out. Some people formulate their thoughts of God as the spirit of God illuminates the word. Some people formulate their thoughts of God based on uh, what they hear in various sermons. Now that can be very dangerous at times because we live in a day where you can hear sermons on the radio, you can hear sermons, some people get on YouTube and they hear sermons on YouTube all day. They don't necessarily go to the church. They just hear various things. You can go to a Christian bookstore and get different books on any topic that you can imagine. Not A lot of people don't even realize that this book is contradicting this book that you're reading. We are saturated with information today. Some people formulate their ideas of God based on that. Some people formulate their ideas of God based on past hurts in life, right? They had some sort of traumatic experience, maybe with their father 
uh, when they were younger and they immediately attribute that to God. So what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We have to understand as Christians, you, you know, when, when we think of, I, I grew up playing baseball, and uh, that, that was my life up until uh, I, I was about 18. And um, if there's anything that you learn in sports to do well, you have to get the fundamental things right. You have to do the elementary things correct, right? There are so many times where, you know, as, as a hitter, you would, you would go through a period where you're not hitting the ball well. And you can kind of break down your mechanics, the ways that you're going about things. Maybe you just have like a hitch in your swing. You're not, maybe you're not pulling the bat back uh, in, in being set. Some of these things happen un- without being conscious of it necessarily. You stop doing the fundamental things well, and that affects everything that you're doing. I believe in the church today that we are in a moment where we need to make sure that we are doing the fundamental things well. That we need to get back to the elementary things of the Word of God, the principles that God has laid out in His Word, and make sure that we are doing them well. If you haven't noticed, the world around us is pretty crazy at the moment. Maybe it's not here in Ohio, but it is in Pennsylvania. It is in those moments that it is essential that the church be the church. And for the church to be the church, we have to do the fundamental things well. Uh, Jim Cimbala talked about... um, he was talking about uh, you know things that separate us from God, and he said it is not the deep truths of the Bible that separate us from God. It is the everyday elementary things that we fail to employ. That is what separates us from God. You don't have to be uh, a scholar of Revelation. I'm not telling you not to be. I'm not telling you not to study your Bible. I'm just saying we don't have to ha- we don't have to be a theologian with four doctorate degrees to be a good solid. Uh, Christian who has an intimate relationship with the Savior. That's not what it takes to have an intimate walk with the Savior. It takes us seeing, uh, the Bible says that we should forgive each other. So I'm going to forgive people. Because God told me to do that. That's what it takes. Not just that, but anything that the Bible says. Right? The Bible says that we should love our enemies. So I'm going to love my enemies. Why? Because my motivation is to please my God. So I'm going to live that out. I don't have to be have doctorates. I need to live out the elementary principles of the Word of God to have a living relationship. That's what it takes to have a living, intimate relationship with God. So I just want to look at one thing. There are so many things that we could talk about in light of that today. But in Luke chapter 23, I want to, I want to talk about the compassion of God. We have to understand the compassion of God. That He is a good Father who desires that we would walk closely with Him daily. So I want to look at the compassion of Christ that, that we see as He's walking to the cross and He's on the cross. We see it in His atoning work. And then I want to look at, just for briefly, the human response then to the compassion of Christ. And we see all of these things today that you see in the thieves on the cross and their interactions with Christ. It is a vivid picture still of what we see in people today. So Luke chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 32. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32, it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified 
they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So again, one of the fundamental things that we have to understand as the church, everything that we do, and we're going to talk about this tonight if you're able to be here, is worship. And the Bible says that we should present our bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice but he says that we should do this in light of the mercy that we have received. So everything that we do as a Christian in our walk with Christ is motivated by the understanding that I had nothing and my Savior lifted me out of that place. So all, all the things that I do for him uh, are motivated out of that. So understanding the compassion of God is an elementary truth that we have to get to. Understanding this attribute of God, that everything that he is flows out of his love in his mercy and his compassion for people. So God is a compassionate God. Uh, Luke 23, it says in verse 34, Father, forgive them. As Christ hung on the cross, after he was beaten, after he was ridiculed, he was mocked, all of these things, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, how many of us today, if, somebody, if you walked out of here and you went into town and somebody spit in your face, what do you think you would do? There's probably not many of us that wouldn't have some sort of Pretty intense response, right? The Bible says we should have the same mind as Christ. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The people that beat him, the people that spit in his face, the people that mocked him and ridiculed the Son of God, he said, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. You understand how intense that is in the light of who God is. And this where, where, again, we have to think rightly of God. Understanding the holiness of God, the power of God, all that He is is beyond what we can even imagine. You understand as we sit here, the earth is flying through space at 67,000 miles per hour. If you're sustained, you can see it through the windows by a ball of fire that is 93 million miles away. All of those things that God conceived in his mind and spoke into existence and all of those things that hold together by the word of God, by the principles of God that he has laid out, his wisdom from the foundations of all things, he's laid these things out and it holds together by his power alone. What on earth reason is there for a God like that to want anything to do with the people that would choose to rebel against him? There's nothing. Not even just He wants, but, but His nature alone, His holiness alone. Why? How could we ever think that God could ever dwell in the place of people that would willingly turn their backs on Him and do their own thing? I mean, we mean everything to God, but in context of who He is, we're nothing. Right? 
We are nothing. One of the most amazing things to me is I'm, I'm very involved in uh, missions. And every time we go to the Dominican Republic, I take, I think, more pictures than any other time when we're on the airplane flying over uh, some of the islands. And you look down and you see through the clouds these islands. And the clouds just kind of build up in the center of the island. And right on the edges of the island, this, this uh, amazing light blue color, and then it starts to get darker and darker and darker. Such an amazing picture, and a, a picture that the, the most amazing artist, human artist, could never even conceive in his mind, but God thought that and spoke it into existence. But some, for some reason, that God, who is that holy, beyond what we can... That's just a word. Holiness of God, that's just a word. It's just a way we try to describe something that isn't describable. But a God that is that holy would desire to look on a people that would spit in His face and say, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as, the, is, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. That the God of heaven would be that holy in His power beyond anything we could imagine, and He would look on man in pity, and make a way for them to step out of the bondage and slavery that we lived in. It's such an amazing thing. And not just that. Not just for those who fear Him, but that mercy, that compassion for those who don't know the salvation of Christ. Ezekiel 33.11 says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. So we serve a God who will walk intimately with His people who fear Him. He has compassion on them. And He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, but He also has compassion on the people who don't know Him and a desire to see that they would come to know Him. As I said, Philippians 2 says that we should have the same mind as Christ. This is, where, this is not just theory to us as a church. This, these aren't just theoretical terms that we talk in about the Word of God. These are everyday principles that we are to live in the bible says that god is compassionate god he said of the sinners that crucified him father forgive them they don't know what they're doing he says in ezekiel 33 that he would desire that all people come to know him we should have the same mind as christ so what does that mean in everyday terms somebody might say something offensive to you at some point in life you don't have to respond in anger you can be upset about it I mean, I don't think there's any way to fully take human emotion out of it. The point, the point though, is that we, at some point we have to... It's just like love, right? Love is the decision that we make. It's not a feeling. Love is the decision that we make. It's the same for God. My, my uh, decisions to worship Him and everything that happens, every situation I'm confronted with, when somebody says something offensive or, or I, I don't like how things are going at work or uh, 
you know, whatever situation you can think of that, that the anger wells up in us and we respond in an ungodly way, my reasoning for not doing that and my motivation for not doing that is because I love my God and I make a choice to honor Him in what I am doing. The same as in a marriage relationship, I choose to honor my wife in everything. Right? It's a decision. It might not always feel good. You might want to say something to the person that said something that was really offensive to you. But I'm not responding to them in that moment. I'm responding to God when I choose to withhold my anger, when I, with, I choose to withhold harsh words from people. I am loving God. I am deciding to love Him in that moment, not this person. That, that is the everyday uh, practicality of the Word of God, the, the compassion of God. Okay, God is compassionate, a compassionate God. Then what do I do? I better figure out how to be a compassionate person. Because all of the people that are outside of the church that don't know Him are looking to see if that's what we are. The Bible says that they will know us by our love for one another. I don't know how we expect people to know anything of God if we are not a compassionate people the same as Christ was. And again, we think of these things as far-off things. The people I don't know walking around on the streets that don't know God. How many of people in here have family members that don't know Christ? Probably everybody, right? Your family members are looking at you. You're telling me that this God is compassionate, but I don't see that in you. That, those are the practical things that we have to begin thinking about Christianity in these terms, that it isn't just theory, but this is an everyday principle uh, that, that I can apply to my life and live out uh, the purposes of Christ in everything that I do. So, so we see then uh, what we can expect, though, the compassion of Christ, and we see the, the human response in light of this uh, in, in the thieves on the cross in, in uh Luke 23, verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He might as well have said, prove it. If you're God, prove it. In that moment, the thief had no fear whatsoever of the impending judgment. I would contend that there are times where as the church, we hear the principles of God over and over. We hear these things and fail to apply them. And in that moment, there is no fear whatsoever of standing before God. I mean, even of a people who experience the compassion of God, there should still be a healthy fear of standing in the presence of God, right? And fear means reverence and all of those things, absolutely. But it's hard for me to believe that if God ripped the roof off of this building right now and revealed himself, that there wouldn't be some actual literal fear. I am terrified of who God is. Even in the midst of experiencing his mercy, his love, his grace, his compassion, all these things that the human element of me wouldn't think, how am I going to endure this? So the prideful heart of man sometimes presented with the mercies of God, even in the church. 
presented with the mercies of God, the compassion of God, and yet we choose to do our own thing sometimes. I think that a lot of this comes from, in my observations in Christianity, I could be totally wrong. I don't think that I am. I believe anymore that even as the church that we think that the human heart is generally good in itself. I think that we honestly think that human, the human heart is generally good. You cannot find that in the Bible. The Bible does not ever say anything about the human heart in itself being good. It does not say that. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, the human heart is predisposed to do what it wants. That I am God. That I will do what I will do. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. The thief in his pride mocked and ridiculed Christ. And I, I don't want to, I don't want us to miss what, what the church should gain from this in understanding. I, I think too many times we think about things as, uh, I think sometimes we don't think we're proud. Maybe is what it comes down to. But you understand the thief joined religious people in his ridicule. When he was ridiculing Christ, he was joining with religious people to do this. There are people in churches all over the world who are proud in heart. Some are pastors. Some are on boards and committees. Some are people who just attend church. Some are people who just attend church as consumers and desire that everything that they want, everything that they feel should be met. I've seen it. I'm not accusing anyone. I don't know any of you, so I'm not. I'm sure that doesn't ever happen here. But I've seen it. And, and the reason I am saying this is not to beat the church down. I am saying that there is something more. There is something more than that. There is a, a greater way of life in Christ. Why does He say to forgive each other? Number one, out of the mercy that we have received, how could we not forgive other people? But two, because you, if we choose not to forgive people, I am walking around in a prison. Harboring bitterness is a prison. Christ knows that. Everything that He lays out, you understand that the principles that God lays out in His Word are not to steal any sort of joy for us, from us or to beat us down into submission. That's not what they're intended to do. I, love, I think about almost everything in terms of music because that's what I do currently. And if you... If you get on, on stage with a band, you have the drums and the bass guitar that kind of build a foundation for everything. And the acoustic guitar and piano kind of lay uh, you know, more artistic things on top of that, create melody and those kind of things. But then you have, if, if you have the people, like in my church we have a girl that plays violin, and she will improvise some, some stuff over the songs that we are playing. 
Now, what has to happen for her to be able to add those artistic elements? There's nothing more freeing as a musician than when you can get on a stage with people and improvise and just play whatever comes to you. But there has to be some principles in place to have the freedom to do that. What do you have to do? You have to, number one, know what key we're playing in, right? If the man's playing in the key of G and she gets up to play violin, I want to play in B-flat today. It's going to sound terrible. Right? We have to know what, what time signature we're playing in. We have to know how we're all going to get to the end of the song. If we're all playing in different times, we're not going to get to the end of the song correctly. I'm watching the drummer for everything I'm doing because he is the one guiding the ship. Right? There are things that are set in place. There are principles that are in place in order for us to experience freedom. That's the same thing with the principles of God, that He has laid out principles in His Word. And as I live my life according to those principles, it is not to steal my joy or beat me down. It's so that I will experience freedom. So when He says that you should forgive people, it's so that you can live free. That is why he tells us things. That is why even we, pastors don't just tell you to read the Bible because that's what you should do as a Christian. It's because this is where God has told you to understand Him. And in that, you can experience freedom because as you understand God, you understand what you were created for. And as you understand what you were created for, you are able to experience freedom. So all of this is to say that there is something more... Uh, Andrew Murray talked about it in his book called uh, Humility. Sorry. In terms of, uh, he likened it to people standing at a storefront. And you know, you stand at mostly the old stores on like Main Street or something, but you, you're standing there and you see this window and everything that is in the store, or, you know, especially on display right in the front, they put their best stuff or they make it look really good, right? So you're standing there at this window and you're looking at all of these things. And he said, a lot of times, that's where we're at as Christians. We're standing there at this window looking at all these spiritual things that are available to us. We know the Word of God says that uh, if, I, if you do this, I will do this. Or this is God's promise. Whatever God's promises are, we see all of these things available to us, but we never get to the point of actually accessing them. We're just looking through a window because we're still holding on to things in our lives. Some sort of prideful attitude or some sort of uh, I, I have seen people in churches hold on to grudges for decades. It happens. And all the while we're holding on to these things, we're standing there at the storefront, never experiencing peace that is available. Never experiencing the fullness of God that is available. We have everything that God is, is available to us in His Son right now. It has always been from eternity past. It will be forevermore. All that He is, He has been. And always will be. We have the opportunity to step into Him. Right now as we sit here, I love that old song, uh, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. And it's just that chorus that says, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. And there was, there, there's been, I don't know if it's ever been this way for you, but there's been times in my life where we have done songs and since I've been raised in the church, all my life I've been in the church. And you, you maybe sing a song or something and finally it hits you what you were singing. Right? It's just like the light bulb goes off. Like what, this is what this actually means. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And what a prayer that is that as we sit here right in this 
in this moment, today, we sit here, God is calling on people all over the world right now. Not an hour from now, it is happening right now. God is calling on people all over the world. The richest of countries, the poorest of countries, He's calling on people. He's calling on people to come out of sin into salvation. He's calling on people that their marriages would be restored. He's calling on people that they would come out of alcoholism or anything that you can imagine. He is calling on people just to know Him more. But the desire of our heart as His people should be, while you are calling on other people, I know you are right now, do not pass me by. And you see, that takes cultivating our hearts. You understand that? It takes cultivating our hearts for God to be a present reality, intimately walking with us. We can't harbor things within us that are not godly. If we want the presence of God, we have to, to cultivate our hearts to that, to that end. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, but God has made a way for healing of the human heart. There's another way, though. There's another thief. In verse... Uh, Start in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In the midst of all that had done, if you read the other gospel accounts, you will see that they say that both thieves were ridiculing Christ. And at some point, the second thief probably was. Uh, but it speaks to the, the power of Christ and the compassion of Christ that, that was evident in His work on the cross. That the thief would look on that and his heart would be changed. In his last moments of life, that he would recognize what was coming for him. That he would recognize the destitution of his heart. And he would plead with Christ for forgiveness. And of course we know that Christ said, today you will be with me in paradise. What it takes for that to happen, a response to the compassion of God, is the heart to be truly humble before him. Oswald Chambers talks about, he talks a lot about uh, man being humiliated before God. And that's a pretty intense thought when I first heard it. That, of course, brings up thoughts of you standing in front of a room kind of like this and you saying something really dumb and everybody laughing at you. That's what it means to be humiliated most of the time when we think about it, right? But to be humiliated before God, it finally hit me what we're talking about in that moment. Have you ever been in a church service or maybe you've led somebody to Christ or you've seen that happen but in in a moment of them hearing the word of God or, or something it just hits them the weight of their sin I would imagine it being somebody sitting in the back of the room and God comes down on them with the full weight of his glory revealing their heart to the point where they cannot sit in their seat any longer they have to get to the altar to do something about what God has been doing in them. 
They're so sick over what God's glory has revealed over who they are, the nature of their heart. They have to do something about it. They can't wait. In that moment, the natural heart of man, the natural self, is humiliated by the glory of God. And that is a great thing. When we come to the place of realizing our destitution and our self is humiliated by the glory of God, I'm not talking about God degrading you. I'm talking about the glory of God revealing the heart of man and us finally seeing the nature of who we are. Because when we finally see that, then God can start doing something in us. We can start moving forward when we finally see that I have nothing to offer. There's nothing in me. I don't have anything to offer the world. I, I don't know. There's not a whole lot I can share, I guess, about this, but uh, Jamie is a, a mental health therapist, and uh, she works currently a job at a psych center, but then she does a crisis job where she's on call if anything happens and people need you know, some sort of services, she has to go out and, and meet with them. And I can't even I can't even begin to describe to you some of the things that people deal with. Some of the things that most of us in the church I wasn't aware of. I would assume I'm not the only one in the church that is totally oblivious to what people are actually dealing with. And I can tell you that some of the things, there is not one thing that you can say to them. There's nothing in our own power that we could say to these people that could give them hope. There's nothing. I mean, a person that is dealing with, I wish I could tell you some of the things I can't. There's nothing that we could possibly ever say in our own power to talk somebody in to understanding the hope of Christ in the midst of all the ways that they have been abused and ripped down. It can't happen. That's why it is vital that we walk in the power of Christ. That's why it's vital that we as God's church would be a people that would go before Him and allow His glory to humiliate myself because myself has nothing to offer. I don't have anything in myself to offer even my family, let alone people outside of the church that don't know Christ. The heart of man is prideful. The heart of man is sinful. The heart of man wants his own thing. It is when we get a vision of the compassion of Christ. When we allow His glory to reveal the state of our hearts, and we come before Him then as a spiritual beggar, understanding that He is the source of everything for life and godliness. It is all contained in Him alone. None of it comes from me. There's nothing that I could do to ever be good enough. As the worship team comes up, I just want to close with this. This is a, 
I think, a perfect picture contrasting the two thieves and the response of man to the compassion of Christ. But Revelation 3.17, it says, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Say I'm rich and don't need anything, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You realize that he was talking to the church in that moment. That was the letter written to the church. I wasn't unbelievers. He was talking to the church. You say I have all these things. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, there is freedom in realizing. I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But my richness comes from my Father in heaven. And the Bible says that He raises me up in Him and that we become a kingdom and priests in Him. But then we see the contrast. Matthew 5.3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not talking about being poor in terms of finances. That's talking about realizing I have nothing to offer. And out of my poverty, coming before Christ. That's what the thief was doing in that moment. He was understanding the weight of what was on him, the judgment to come, that he had nothing to offer. And he was laying himself before Christ as a spiritual beggar, asking Christ if he would remember him. Out of his mercy, will you remember me? when you move past this life, because I recognize in this moment that all I have had, I have wasted. That I have nothing. But if you are merciful, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he said uh, that he would forgive him. Today you will be with me in paradise. To be humiliated by God puts me in the place of a spiritual beggar, the understanding that all we have is what he gives And I say that, again, I want to emphasize my goal is not to rip down God's church in any way. My goal is to help us understand that there is more that is available. There is greater life that is available. There is a more intimate walk with God that is available. But it takes me recognizing the destitution of my own heart. God, we thank You today. Father, that You are compassionate and gracious. Father, that Your love is beyond anything we can imagine. Father, we are humbled today by who You are. And Father, in light of who You are, we pray that Your glory would be at work in our hearts Father, that Your glory would reveal the nature of our hearts and our need for You, that we wouldn't ever harbor any, uh, any pride in ourselves, but Father, we would come before You, allowing You to do whatever You would within us. Father, teach us what it means to worship You. Teach us what it means to come before You as one who is poor in spirit. Father, we love You. We thank You for all that You are. It's Your name we pray. Amen.